Chapter One of Phantoms of Reality. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Richard Kilmer. Phantoms of Reality by Ray Cummings. Wall Street or the Open Road. When I was some fifteen years old, I once made the remark, why, that's impossible. The man to whom I spoke was a scientist. He replied gently, My boy, when you are grown older and wiser, you will realize that nothing is impossible. Somehow that statement stayed with me. In our swift-moving, wonderful world, I have seen it proven many times. They once thought it impossible to tell what lay across the broad, unknown Atlantic Ocean. Then they thought, the vault of the heavens revolved around the earth. It was impossible for it to do anything else, because they could see it revolve. It was impossible, too, for anything to be alive and yet be so small that one might not see it. But the microscope proved the contrary. Or again, to talk beyond the normal range of the human voice was impossible, until the telephone came to show how simply and easily it might be done. I never forgot that physician's remark, and it was repeated to me some ten years later by my friend, Captain Derek Mason, on that memorable June night of 1929. My name is Charles Wilson. I was twenty-five that June of 1929. Although I had lived all my adult life in New York City, I had no relatives there and few friends. I had known Captain Mason for several years. Like myself, he seemed one who walked alone in life. He was an English gentleman, perhaps thirty years old. He had been stationed in the Bermudas, I understood, though he seldom spoke of it. I always felt that I had never seen so attractive a figure of a man as this Derek Mason. An English aristocrat, he was. Straight and tall and dark, and rather rakish, with a military swagger. He affected a small black mustache, a handsome debonair fellow with an easy grace of manner, a modern d'Artagnan. In an earlier, less civilized age, he would have been expert with sword and stick. I could not doubt. A man who could capture the hearts of women with a look. He had always been to me a romantic figure, and a mystery that seemed to shroud him made him no less so. A friendship had sprung up between Derek Mason and me, perhaps because we were such opposite types. I am an American, of medium height and medium build, ruddy with sandy hair. Derek Mason was as meticulous of his clothes, his swagger uniforms, as the most perfect Beau Brummel. Not so myself. I am careless of dress and speech. I had not seen Derek Mason for at least a month when one June afternoon a note came from him. I went to his apartment at eight o'clock that same evening. Even about his home there seemed a mystery. He lived alone with one man-servant. He had taken quarters in a high-class bachelor apartment building near Lower Fifth Avenue, at the edge of Greenwich Village, all of which no doubt was rational enough. But in this building he had chosen the lower apartment at the ground-floor level. It adjoined the cellar. It was built for the janitor, 
but Derek had taken it and fixed it up in luxurious fashion. Near it, in a corner of the cellar, he had boarded off a square space into a room. I understood vaguely that it was a chemical laboratory. He had never discussed it, nor had I ever been shown inside it. Unusual, mysterious enough, and that a captain of the British military should be an experimental scientist was even more unusual. Yet I had always believed that for a year or two Derek had been engaged in some sort of chemical or physical experiment. With all his military swagger, he had the precise, careful mode of thought characteristic of the man of scientific mind. I recall that when I got his note with its few sentences bidding me to come to see him, I had a premonition that it marked the beginning of something strange, as though the portals of a mystery were opening to me. Nothing is impossible. Nevertheless, I record these events into which I was plunged that June evening with a very natural reluctance. I expect no credibility. If this were the year 2000, my narrative doubtless would be tame enough. Yet in 1929, it can only be called a fantasy. Let it go at that. The fantasy of today is the sober truth of tomorrow, and by the day after, it is a mere platitude. Our world moves swiftly. Derek received me in his living room. He admitted me himself. He told me that his manservant was out. It was a small room with leather-covered easy chairs, rugs on its hardwood floor, and sober brown portieres at its doors and windows. A brown parchment shade shrouded the electrolier on the table. It was the only light in the room. It cast its mellow sheen upon Derek's lean, graceful figure as he flung himself down and produced cigarettes. He said, Charlie, I want a little talk with you. I've something to tell you, something to offer you. He held his lighter out to me with its tiny blue alcohol flame under my cigarette, and I saw that his hand was trembling. But I don't understand what you mean, I protested. He retorted, I'm suggesting that you might be tired of being a clerk in a brokerage office, tired of this humdrum world that we call civilization, tired of Wall Street. I am, Derek. Heavens, that's true enough. His eyes held me. He was smiling half whimsically. His voice was only half serious. Yet I could see, in the smoldering depths of those luminous dark eyes, a deadly seriousness that belied his smiling lips and his gay tone. He interrupted me with, and I offer you a chance for deeds of high adventuring, the romance of danger, of pitting your wits against villainy to make right triumph over wrong, and to win for yourself power and riches, and perhaps a fair lady. Derek, you talk like a swashbuckler of the Middle Ages. I thought he would grin, but he turned suddenly solemn. I'm offering to make you henchman to a king, Charlie. King of what? Where? He spread his lean brown hands with a gesture. He shrugged. What matter? If you seek adventure, you can find it somewhere. If you feel the lure of romance, it will come to you. I said, henchman to a king? 
but still he would not smile. Yes, if I were king, I'm serious, absolutely. In all this world there's no one who cares a damn about me. Not in this world, but... He checked himself. He went on. You are the same. You have no relatives? No, none that ever think of me. Nor a sweetheart? Or have you? No, I smiled. Not yet. Maybe never. But you were too interested in Wall Street to leave it for the open road. He was sarcastic now. Or do you fear deeds of daring? Do you want to right a great wrong, rescue an oppressed people, overturn the tyranny of an evil monarch, and put your friend and the girl he loves upon the throne? Or do you want to go down to work as usual in the subway tomorrow morning? Are you afraid that in this process of becoming henchman to a king you may perchance get killed? I matched this caustic tone. Let's hear it, Derek. End of chapter one.